It's uh, a pleasure to have Dave here. Now, as I introduce him, Dave, come on up. Let's give him a round of applause. Um, now, you have to understand that as Dave and I started talking, my right coast accent got a little stronger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we are about, uh, I taught in Massachusetts for 10 years, and I was at Holden, Mass, and he comes from Lynn, Mass, so we're about, you know, a few minutes from each other. Yeah? Go Sox? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, you, the, the big green wall there in it's Harvard, like sacred in Harvard space. Square. Yeah, that's right. It's like sacred right. space. Man. So um, we have this kin kindred spirit here. They're, um, not, they're not feeling it, though. No, you don't get, you know, okay. anybody from the right coast? So do you understand what we're talking about? There is no other place to be. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, sorry. it gives me great pleasure to introduce Dave. Well, Pepper. thank you. Thanks. I appreciate we that. Welcome you back. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's, uh, gosh, I graduated from here almost like 20 years ago. It was a different school then. Um, I am here primarily at the good graces of my command chaplain, uh, Chaplain Colonel Don Smith, and my primary responsibilities is to travel the country talking to colleges, universities, and seminaries about ministry and the Air Force Reserve Chaplain Service. Um, so I want to kind of just say up front, I don't want to use this primarily as a recruiting moment. Uh, because we're here to worship, but if after the service you have questions about our programs, I put brochures on the back table, and you're free to take any of these if you want. One is on our chaplain candidate program, designed for seminary students. Um, the minimum requirement to be a military chaplain is a 72-hour master's degree uh, in a related ministry field. Um, so that means you have to do what I did and keep going to school after you got done here. And I just kept on going, man. Just now, I'm, I'm kind of tired of school now. Uh, and really, nobody calls me doctor anyway, so what good was it in the first place? Like I, I asked my wife, honey, are you going to call me doctor now? And she just started laughing. So. It wasn't worth it, but actually it was. It was a phenomenal program. Um, and this pamphlet is on reserve chaplaincy for clergy who have already been involved in civilian ministry and already have their master's degree. So be happy to talk to any of you um, if you have any interest, or feel free to take them to people that you might know who might have interest. Um, wow. Unlike when I was serving as a pastor, preaching among the same people week in and week out. Preaching here is a little bit uh, different than that. Uh, that being, I don't really know you. I mean, I know this place, but I don't know you. And I did wonder, you know, what in the world would I have to say to you where you are in your life? And, and it occurred to me that I once was one of you. Um, granted, it was a long time ago, and I said, under the tutelage of professors whose names, frankly, might not even be familiar to most of you, but in honor of their investment in my life and ministry that you might hear in the walls of this school, Neil Wiseman, 
Neil has Parkinson's disease. She's just a really good man, good friend. I, when I graduated from the Bible college, my wife really wanted me to go on and go to seminary. And I just wanted to leave and win the world to Jesus, you know. So I went to Neil and I said, I, I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do here. And this was his counsel. David, how old are you? I'm 27 at the time. He said, go to seminary. Nobody wants a shepherd before they're 30. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was some of the best counsel I've ever got in my life. I've never regretted it. Uh, Charles Baldwin, well, I had no idea. I, I, I didn't have these tears when I wrote their names down. Uh, whew, scary. Uh, T.C. Mitchell, Ross Hayslip, Stephen Manley, Doctors Perkins, and Ron Attic, who has really been a dear friend and a significant mentor all these years. And since I I've never been able to live up to his life and love. I've given up. So I just love him and know he loves me. And I remember these years here with a great deal of fondness. And they were shaping years for me, transforming years. And I'm grateful for the gift of NBC. And I pray that you will be, even if you're not tonight. So there are a lot of things I could say. I mean, you know, old war stories I could tell you, uh, could talk about you know, being here with a wonderful wife and our children were very small, one of whom will be married this coming Friday. Wow. Um, I could tell of my ministry since leaving this place, uh, 14 years at a wonderful church that I planted and pastored and miss it, to be honest with you. War stories. I could tell you about William Willimon, what he calls the nitty-gritty, everyday reality of the ordinary church. And I could tell you to get out while you still can, you know. But I won't do that. Uh, I mean, who in their right mind, you know, would be clergy. We're, we're nuts. Um, and then I recalled, I'm thinking about what's important to them, Lord. What do I say? And I recalled a biblical passage that simply says something like, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, that's not to make an excuse not to study. <laughs> Do you hear me? No, I'm totally serious about that. Don't ever, don't ever get in a pulpit without studying. You haven't earned that right, I'm telling you guys. Don't do it. Don't use that line, well, you know, the Spirit will just speak. You know what? Spirit speaks to you in your study on Tuesday and every other day. So. I just kind of thought, maybe I'll just share with you what's been on my heart for the last couple of years since I've been doing a lot of this kind of duty. And really, what's been on my heart, what's been on my mind quite a bit is love. I mean, I just want to talk to you a little bit about God's love. It really, it's nothing groundbreaking. I mean, you're not going to be graded on it. And frankly, I would venture to say that it's weighed heavily on my heart because it's been rather absent in my life lately. I'm having a hard time uh, loving these days. I'm having a hard time loving God, loving the church, 
loving my country, and loving some of my colleagues. And I, I just kind of wondered, maybe some of you might be in a similar place. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 7 onward. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Um, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. And furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we'll not be afraid on the day of judgment, but when we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love each other. The word of the Lord. You know, I'm just going to try and encourage you to love God and to love others. And the question that I'm confronted with when I read the text is, what might that love look like in you and me, in our lives and in our ministry? It might look like loving those who are unlike us. Two of my closest friends in the Air Force Chaplain Service. One of them is Dan Brainingham. Dan and I were chaplain candidates together. And when we were both invited to come on active duty, because I just want you to know the Air Force, to be on active duty, it's a competitive program. And I declined and Dan accepted. Uh, Dan is a Christian scientist. So theologically, you know, Dan and I, we're like worlds apart, man. But I, I got to tell you, 
He's one of my best friends in the world. He's just a great guy, an awesome chaplain. And we have wonderful conversations. I love him, and he's not like me. Another close friend of mine is Nate Crocker. Nate's a civilian employee, contract employee, which means he's making the big bucks with the Air Force. And he works for the chief of chaplains, okay? Um, so his boss is a two-star general. Um, Nate and I have worked together several years. I've directed the chaplain candidate course for the Air Force. Nate does all the web stuff. He's an IT guy, and he's really smart and sharp. Nate is a committed Latter-day Saint, absolutely committed. One of the most beautiful people I've ever known in my entire life, bar none. I recently spoke in Nate's church. <laughs> he invited me. I mean, what do you want me to say? No. It was awesome. They were so kind, and I was so grateful. I traveled the country visiting all kinds of schools and seminaries, and they have different perspectives on the Bible, and their theological bents are at various extremes, I've got to tell you. And certainly many of them are not like mine, you know. Harvard Divinity School, Gordon Cornwall Theological Seminary, Assembly of God Theological Seminary, Candler School of Theology. Last week I was at Boston U University School of Theology, okay? I don't know if you know much about BU, but it probably wouldn't align itself with conservative thought, all right? And I was interviewing a potential candidate there. Her name was Kelly. Kelly is a Unitarian Universalist. Which basically means Kelly just hasn't figured it out yet, you know? <laughs> it's all okay in the Unitarian Universalist world. Awesome. I'm like, yeah, I want that, man, whatever. She was incredible. We had such a wonderful interview. And despite the fact that I just don't think like Kelly does or anywhere close, I have a responsibility. I'm recruiting chaplains from all kinds of faith groups and practices. And as far as I understand the text for today, I don't have an option not to love Kelly. So when I think about Dan and Nate and Kelly, I'm confronted with the words that said, if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Whoever loves God must also love others, and that must include others that are unlike me and you. Maybe that love looks like loving our enemies. Now, I know you'd never think it, but I preached at East Nazarene College's chapel last Wednesday. Oh, awesome. Such a great time. I had so much fun. They were so much fun. I mean, certainly a lot more fun than you are, but <laughs> so much fun. It went really well. It was one of those, you know, if you never had the experience, one of those sermons where, you know, you hit the ball out of the park. One of those DeLong sermons. It wasn't a long sermon, just DeLong sermon. It was great. So much favorable comments, so many kind words and emails after I left, except for one student. Came up to me, and I'm talking to two other students. She got right up and said, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just got to tell you guys, what this guy said is not true. She said, I didn't speak the truth. 
She used the word lie. And I think she was upset because I didn't speak favorably about Christian radio because frankly I'm just not a fan. Christian radio, sorry. I mean, why? I, why have it? I can't. They claim to want to reach the lost, but the language they use is all insider language. It makes no sense to me at all. So she wasn't happy about that. And then um, I'm not, I spoke kind of derogatorily about that question from, I think it's Evangelism Explosion. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? I hate that question. Don't like it. And I certainly don't think you should use it with people you've never met and don't know. Because you've not earned the right to ask them that question. She strongly disagreed. She does not like me. And I said, I'm so sorry. I want you to know I'm receiving what you're saying to me. But frankly, I preached a different sermon than the one you heard. Can I choose not to love her? Now I'll give you, it was hard. I'm, I wanted to hit her. <laughs> and then, you know, you get confronted. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm serious. You get confronted with the gospel. You have heard that the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, I'll give her one thing. She did it to my face. I mean, I'll give her that. And that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? I mean, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So it, it seems to me, particularly when it comes to the command to love one's enemies, that love is a choice. I must choose to love even those who are unlovable, which frankly, all of us can be at times. Listen, folks, my wife and I, we're going to celebrate our 25th year together this year, and I'll guarantee you that she still has to wake up some days and has to choose to love me. I know, you never guess it, huh, by the way I look, right? <laughs> choose to love me, because I, I can just be hard to love. When I think about my young 22-year-old daughter getting married, what's wrong with you? <laughs> They've been dating all through college and, you know, wanting to get married in college. And we said, hey, you're old enough to get married now. You must be old enough to pay to school. That ended that conversation <laughs> right there. But the thing I appreciate when I see McKenna and Seth together is he loves her when she's not very lovable. I mean, when dad's not loving her. You know what I mean? Dads? So, although I'm not always happy 
with what he is doing in my life, I choose today to love God. And despite its messiness and its moments of ugliness, I choose today to love the church. And although we continue to fight a war with some of my military friends come home in silver flag draped coffins, I choose today to love and serve my country. And even though some of my colleagues frustrate me and anger me to no end, and I'm sure I do them, I choose today and I pray to God they choose to love me. I mean, you know, if I love only those who love me, what reward is there in that? So when I think about not loving my enemies, I'm confronted with today's text. If someone says, I love God, but hates another, that person is a liar. And, and there are many things, really, that I am. Honestly, things I'd be embarrassed to tell you. But one of them, I'm, I'm not a liar. This love might look like loving those who are lost. And here, to be honest with you, I'm really tempted just to... Whew, I'll take up the rest of your evening and I won't do it. I want to honor your time. But, folks, I built a ministry and a life centered around this call to love lost people. But I just want to say one thing to you. Just one little thing in particular to this community, okay? My greatest fear for you is that you will leave here with a passion for lost people, but it will soon get lost in your church work. And, and what I mean by that is your concentric circles will become people like you. And if you don't cultivate and purposefully spend time in relationships with people outside of the kingdom, then it'll never happen. And you and I will become insiders and we might as well be on Christian radio. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I gotta get over that. Look. I understand the fear. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid that lost people and their propensity to sin is going to wear off on you? Oh my church. I mean we're talking about the same Jesus who was victor over death, hell, and the grave. Billy Graham wrote, Jesus had the most all-encompassing mind this world has ever seen. His convictions were so strong, so unswerving, that he was not afraid to mingle with any group, secure in the knowledge that he would not be contaminated or swayed. Fear makes us unwilling to give voice to our convictions or to listen to the convictions of others. Unitarian Universalists. Fear of rejection. Fear our beliefs will be attacked. Fear our faith might be shaken. Never lose your confidence in the truth of the gospel. 
But like Jesus, may you always be speaking the truth in love. So when I think about loving the lost, I'm confronted with today's text. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels fear. Loving the lost means, according to 1 Corinthians 13, not looking down on them. As if we're any better. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. It means investment. It means sacrifice. My son Chad went on a little mission trip when he was in college to Africa. I said, what are you going to do in Africa? Because, you know, he had to raise his own money and mom and dad had to foot a large part of that bill. Okay? So I just want to know, what am I getting from my investment? That's all. That's all I want to know. Chad looks at me, totally seriously, says, we're going to love kids who have AIDS. I said, no, man, no. That's not what I asked you. What are you going to do in Africa? Like, I'm thinking build a hospital, build a school. What? He says, Papa, we're going to love kids who have AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's some more money. (laughs) You know, (laughs) felt guilty after that. Chad introduced me to a band. Uh, My kids keep me really current both in the secular music and in Christian music, and a lot of it I like and a lot of it I don't connect with, but Chad introduced me to a band called Leland, and um, they sing a song called Tears of the Saints, and I thought as part of the closing, so we don't have to sing that hymn at the end, I I thought I would let it communicate what loving the lost might look like, and as you watch it, my son-in-law, put future son-in-law put this, he's got a few more days, so... Uh, (laughs) As you listen and watch it, ask yourself the question, when was the last time you literally wept for the lost, the unloved, and the unlovable of this world? Okay? Ian, if you would, please. Can you? It's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. It happens. It's all right. Um, whether it is loving those who are unlike us, loving our enemies, or loving the lost, please remember love is always and epitomized in the cross. Love is always sacrifice. And so, the question I would encourage us to leave here with is, are we ready, really, to allow that kind of sacrifice to define our lives? Stand, please. Um, I'm going to leave you with this blessing and then would invite you to receive it and take it with you. Jesus said, 
Now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are indeed God's disciples. Go in peace to love God and to serve others. Amen. You are dismissed.